This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. As is our family habit, on Thursdays, my wife sends a text out to all the boys, myself included. Is there any additions for the Kroger list? Uh, we, she puts the shopping list together and it gets sent off. We pick up the groceries on Friday. Don't judge us. We are ClickList people. I'm okay with that. Uh, I used to make fun of ClickList people. Then we went into the pandemic. We have uh, one of our family members is immunosuppressant. And so we're not quite sure how much at that time exposure. So we say, hey, you know what? We'll just create some space. But once you go down the ClickList path, right? Right? Okay. So don't judge me. Um, so Thursday, she's putting everything together. Is anything that we need around the house? Uh, one boy will say, hey, we need uh, more uh, bars of soap. One might say we need more hair conditioner. One will say, I want pudding pops and fiery nacho chips. Um, then she and I will normally connect. Is there anything else that we need? Hey, I think we're out of bread. We need some of this. Uh, we need ketchup. Kroger will then come back with, these are your substitutions. Oh, my God. I think there was one time they substituted an orange for a banana. Like, that's not even, that's not even close. But oftentimes what it will be is, hey, we don't have that brand, but you can get this off-brand. And sometimes that's okay. And maybe you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't need, you know, Cabot Sharp Cheddar $14 an ounce cheese. I'm fine with Kroger cheese. That's fine. But there's other times where you don't compromise, right? Like there's, there's just, example, ketchup, okay? It's Heinz ketchup, and that's it. There's no other option in our family. And maybe some of you, you, you are God-led people too, and you recognize that there's only one ketchup and everything else is of the devil, or for maybe you, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's coffee. You're like, oh, you know, I don't sell well, I'm going to drink coffee. It's going to be this kind of coffee. We don't do any that kind of coffee. The difference between on-brand, off-brand. I get that brand because I expect a certain quality. There's a value to it. And oftentimes there's another expense that goes along with it. That brand. In 2008, there was a company that was wrestling with that very question. Their CEO, a man by the name of Schultz, had started a company that was tanking. That company was Starbucks. All the good numbers were going this way, and all the bad numbers were going that way. The brand was failing. And so he came back, the founder, to be the CEO again in 2008 to try to right the ship and fix the company because the brand was failing. People did not go to Starbucks the way they used to. And so he would literally shut stores down for a period to teach baristas, this is how we make a cup of coffee. This is the equipment that we need to use. This is the equipment that we need to replace. He said, we are not a coffee company that serves people. We are a people company that happens to serve coffee. 
Two years later, the popularity of Starbucks skyrocketed because he said, you know what? This brand needs to be fixed. The name needs to be repaired. You might be asking yourself, Paul, this is a church. It's not a business. I agree 100%. What does this have to do with my faith? Click lists and Starbucks and brand names and marketing. Well, did you know that God has a brand? God has a name. And with that brand, God has an expectation. When you encounter me, you can expect this. And for those who will carry the brand, God says the world should expect something. So we're going to talk about that this morning. We began the year talking about and learning about key pieces of teaching that the church has carried with it for 2,000 years and passed on saying to New Falls, you need to learn this, you need to know this. We began the year learning what we call the Apostles' Creed, a succinct compression of theology. Some of you grew up in faith traditions that learned the Apostles' Creed. Some of you are like, no, that's of the devil. We're not learning those things. That's okay. You were wrong. I was wrong because what does it say? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the church. I believe in the life everlasting. These are important things to pass on. These are important things to be re-anchored in on a regular basis, to remember what Jesus says, I am the truth. You need to know the truth. Jesus also said, I am the life. So we slowed down in the year and we walked through the Lord's prayer because prayer is the life of a Jesus follower. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Some of you have learned to anchor your day in the Lord's prayer. And I think that's a beautiful thing. But the third part of that, Jesus says, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the way. There is a way that a follower of Jesus is to walk. There's an ethic. And so to help new believers and all believers know that ethic, we have passed on what we call the Ten Commandments. Maybe you are learning them, maybe you are relearning them. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, that doesn't mean you can have lots of gods, just make sure I have the best seat, right? You can chase after over other things, just make sure you chase after. That's not what that means. Put nothing else in front of me. I'm number one. I'm the one that saves you. I'm the one who delivers you. One of our elders, uh, Aaron, came up last week, did a great job helping us understand what does it mean to not make for yourself an idol? You might say, well, I don't have that problem. We all have that problem. But God is very pro-idol, isn't he? I loved what he said. Because he's already made himself an idol. An image bearer. It's you. It's me. Don't make idols, God says. I already made mine. And we have a responsibility to walk in such a way. Which is great because that leads us into the third commandment. The third word. So in Exodus chapter 20, 
Verse 7, you can open up your copy of the word. Uh, Ryan will have verses up for us and we can follow along together. If you're watching online, open up your copy uh, or get one. And it has this to say. In fact, why don't we read this together? Will you read this with me? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's unpack that today. And in your notes, let's write something down to help us remember. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Write that down. It can be a helpful way to put something in memory. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What I want to do with you this morning as you're writing that is I want to talk about what that means all those parts. And I want you to see where that fits in the story because that will lead us then in how we're supposed to live with it and what that means, what the expectation is for us, okay? So we'll we'll do this together. What does it mean? You shall not. Okay, that's an emphatic no. It's not a maybe. It's not if it's convenient. It's not as long as your parents did a good job, then we expect you to do it. It's not a plural. It's a you Don't do this. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's just one word, no. It's not no for everybody. It's no for you, the individual. God looks at you and looks at me and says, don't do this. Paul, don't do this. Tom, don't do this. Carol, don't do this. Deb, don't do this. Paul, don't do this. It's an emphatic. It's not an optional. This is a governing document that has an expectation of us. It's a governing document that God has intended and designed to recreate life on earth. Because we're a part of a story that God is restoring other people. And so God says these 10 things, we're going through two, we're going to learn a new one today, intended to create space for life in his kingdom to thrive. That means you do some things and you don't do other things. When life is on the line, you do some things, you don't do other things. He says, don't do this. Do what? Take the name. How many of you in your flannel graph tradition in history learned, right? Amen, Aaron Gosser? Amen. Amen. Learned that that means don't say God's name in the wrong way. Don't say GD. How many of you learned that's what that means? Go ahead, hold it up there because it's important. That, all right, okay? Wrong. That's not what that means. It's not what it says. You're like, what? They lied to me. No, it includes that. But this is a whole lot bigger than what you say. To take means to bear something, to carry it, to carry it. Let me give you an example. Lucas, come here. Take this Bible. That's it. Did I say, do not say the word Bible? 
What did I say? I said, take the Bible. So what did he do? He took it. He bears it. He carries it. What that verb is asking me to do. Thanks, buddy. You look good. I like that shirt. That's nice. Handsome, handsome young man. You come from good stock on your mother's side. So whatever this thing is, it's something that I take and I receive. It's been given to me. If I say carry in the groceries, I'm not saying don't say the word groceries. I'm like, carry it in. Go to the car, pick it up, take it where it needs to go. It's something that I bear. Bear what? The name. Okay. The name means the character and purpose of God. It's who God is in all of his majesty and wonder and glory. It's his reputation. His illumination. His excellence. To say God's name, to bear God's name, is to carry all that he is and all that he is doing. In Psalm 75, the psalmist praises God, says, God, your name has come near. Thank you. A couple of psalms later, he says, God, may your name become great in Judah. So the name can come near. That means that the name can also feel far. If the name can be lifted up, that also means that the name can be pushed down. Think of it uh, like the sun, okay? There are times where the sun is near. We call that day. I know I'm right. <laughs> there are times when the sun is far, night. There are times that even though I see the sun, it's far, it's diminished in its effect. We call that winter. There are times when its effect is more immediate. We call that summer. It warms me. God, may the light of your name shine and may it warm me. I bear the name. Of who? The Lord your God. We've already said this. This came back in the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. And now he says it again in this third one. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God. So I need to think about that phrase the same way I thought about it in the first commandment. That's how God introduced himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. That's how God introduced himself as a delivering God, as a saving God. I am the Lord your God. Don't take my name in vain. I'm the one who delivers. I'm the one who saves. In vain. What does that mean? It means empty. Without substance, without weight. If you talk about the vice of vanity or vain glory, someone who's consumed with the outside, but there's no depth or, or wealth or warmth on the inside. Somebody asks for a drink and you, you bring me, hey, could I have a drink, please? And you bring me this amazing, brand new Starbucks mug that you picked up at Kroger. It's, brand, it's wonderful. It probably costs so much. And I get it and there's nothing in it. Well, I needed a drink. 
Look at this cup. I'm thirsty, but look at the cup. That's vain. There's no, there's nothing there. It's, it's empty. Don't carry or bear all that God is in a way that empties it of its power and glory and beauty. How many of you, and I know this is, this is true of many of you, how many of you have a high value and estimation and respect for the American flag? You'd say, you know what, that's, that's uh, when I see that, you know, God bless America. Some of you have served or from families who serve or grew up in a culture where someone was always hanging a flag or there's a flagpole. You have a high view of the American flag. When it's more than just a piece of cloth, right? That cloth is symbolic, you would say, of all that is America. That, that's, we're talking about values and we're talking about a story. We're talking about sacrifice. We're talking about freedom. We're talking about good things. And how do you feel when you see that disrespected? Does it bother you? Yeah. We, we go to sporting events, and at the beginning of the sporting events, would you please stand? Would you turn to the flag? People take hats off. Someone put a hand over their heart out of respect to the brand. And to see someone mistreat it really upsets you. Okay, now you have a micron, a fraction of understanding what God says when he says, do not take my name in vain. Because he finishes up the verse. Ryan, could you bring it back up for us? He finishes Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He says, that's me. That's who I am. That is my character. That's the story. That's my purpose. That's my radiance. And if you mistreat it, we got problems. Don't. That's a whole lot more than just saying GD. To help us understand this commandment and this word, let's put it inside the context of the story because God introduces the Ten Commandments inside of a story. I'm the Lord your God. This is a story of deliverance. Where does the story start? Story starts with good creation, right? God creates a good creation. It's beautiful. Paradise, it's Eden. If you're following someone and their theology starts with bad, then their theology is wrong. Okay? Story starts good. Now, then what happens? Well, then happens bad. Yes. Yes. God created good. What do humans do? There's treason. There's debauchery. There's, uh, there's disaster. There's, there's, there's lying. There's cheating. There's murder. Because what do humans do? We break stuff. 
We break other people. We break God's good creation. So we go from a good creation to treason very, very quickly. In fact, chapter after chapter after chapter, it's just more treason and more destruction. More treason and more destruction and more brokenness as sin and death run rampant at our hands. But what we say when we unpack the story is that we go from good creation to treason into promise very quickly. And I want you to see where the story turns. This is important. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. This is one of those passages in your Bible that you're going to want to have circled and highlighted because it's an important place where chapters move forward. Greater chapters, movements, if you will. Because God says, I'm going to fix this, but I'm going to fix this through a specific person to do a specific thing. This is how I'm going to bring about promise and restoration. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, 1, I'm going to read all the way through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, that's cool, so that you will be a blessing. So I'm going to receive, if I'm Abram, I'm going to receive blessings so that I can be a blessing. I'm going to receive the blessing so I can pass it on to others. Okay, so far so good. I will bless those that bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. All right, so I'm going to fix, I'm going to restore, I'm going to repair. Abraham, I'm going to do it through you. I will bless you and your family, and through your family, I will restore everything else. Abraham's family grows. They go to Egypt. They're enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They cry out. God hears his people because that's how I'm going to repair. That's how I'm going to restore the world. I'm going to bless the whole world and repair it through that family. I need to get them out of bondage. Moses, I'm sending you. I am the Lord your God. I've heard their cry. Go get them. Hey, Pharaoh, set my people free. Out we go. We got 10 plagues. God decreates Egypt through 10 sayings. 10 plagues. We go through the Red Sea and then we march to Sinai. It's 50 days from leaving Egypt to making it to the mountain. God's people meet with God and the very first thing that God gives them is what? 10 commandments. Hey, how are you? I'm the Lord your God who delivers you. Don't put any gods before me. Aaron made this great point last week. These people are more Egyptian than they are anything else. These aren't Israelites. These are Egyptians. Their world is all a culture of gods. And God says, I'm the God that saves. Don't make idols. You are my idol. And then he says, don't take my name, don't bear my name in vain. And then what God begins to do and unpack through this season of time while the people are gathered at Sinai. Now, they're not to the promised land. They're going to get to the promised land. But right now, they're kind of this this way station where they're going to get resourced. God says, okay, you need to build a tabernacle. This is how you build a tabernacle. You need a priesthood. This is what the priests are, and this is what they're going to wear, and this is what they're going to do, and this is what you do at the tabernacle. This is how we set up camp. This is how we break down camp. This is how we march. Are you guys ready? 
And so they take a year from the moment they get to Sinai to get on the road. Okay, imagine we're going on a trip. We need to pack the trunk. We need to pack the trailer. This is how we pack it. This is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. They spend a year doing this. At the beginning, God said, I'm the Lord your God. You are my examples. You are my emissaries, my ambassadors, my idols. Don't bear my name in a false way. Let's get ready to leave. You with me? I've now covered all the rest of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and now we are into Numbers. Tune in Numbers chapter 6. Because you're going to see why this matters. Numbers chapter 6. We need to get this people on the move. There's a world to save. There's restoring. There's darkness to battle. We're going to put this thing back together again. We've taken a year to get ready, a year to learn how to march, a year to learn how to follow, a year to learn how to relate to one another. And now the time to depart has come. Before God says, don't take the name, but we haven't received the name yet. Don't take the name in the wrong way. You haven't received it yet, but when you receive it, don't take it in the bad way. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. How many of you have heard that before? I've prayed that over you, right? You grew up in traditions maybe where pastors and priests would pray that over you. But do you know what comes after it? So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. I get, I'm a Bible nerd. That's cool. That's cool. So we're going to get ready for a trip and we're practicing, we're preparing and everything's ready to go. We're going to move through wilderness in the promised land. We are all ready to go. All right, you ready? Priests, bless them because now they're going to receive my name and we're going to have a huge parade and majesty and celebration. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God says, when you do that, I will put my name on them. That's why God said, so carry it right. So carry it right. As you can imagine, not too far into the story, in fact, about three days later, guess what they're doing? Screwing it up. Because what do we do? We break stuff. We break stuff. God says, I'm going to give you my name, my reputation and glory and majesty. I will bless you because through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. Here's my name. Can you see how the first three commandments fit together? I'm the only God. You are my representation. Reflect me well. Reflect me well. 
It's a story of recreation that we're a part of. It's a family business. It's a working family. Well, failure upon failure upon failure, what does God need to say? I need to do this myself. So the name enters the story, and his name is Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? Even just the name itself, what does Jesus mean, the name? It means God saves. And we shouldn't be surprised at that. Why? Well, that's the family business. That's what we're about. That's what we're doing. God saves, and he's going to save creation. He's saving all of humanity. So God says, I'm coming, the name, the representation and glory and majesty and picture of God himself. If you've seen me, he says, you've seen the father. And what does he begin to do? He begins to gather people around him. And in the same way, Israel gathered around the mountain of God, God's disciples, Jesus' disciples gather around them and he gives them his law. In the same way, his disciples gather around him as he went up upon the mountain. And before he sends them out on their mission, Guess what he does? He says, as you are going out into all the world, put my name on people. Matthew 28, let's look at it together. It's familiar to you, but stick it inside of the story and it'll mean a whole lot more. It's a little bit more than mission parades in the fall. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ahead, Ryan. I love to keep turning, man. I love that sound. That sounds awesome. That's a good sound. That's a real good sound. I wish we could make the projector make that sound. Aaron had a sound last week. What was it? Yeah, mine's better. Um, I busted. No. Go, therefore, me, as you are going, because this is a family business, as you are moving forward, as you're moving through wilderness and chaos and darkness to bring light and grace and peace, as you are going, you're going to make disciples of all nations. We're going to bless the whole world. How are you going to do that? You're going to baptize, literally immerse them in what? The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You immerse them in my character. You immerse them in my mission. You immerse them in my life. In fact, there's going to be a moment when someone wants to join this, we're going to actually baptize them. You're going to immerse them in the water and you're going to say in that moment, you receive the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. You see the disciples, apostles through the book of Acts, healing people in the name of, and the character and the goodness and the reputation and the glory of Jesus be healed. Paul, in each of his letters, seems to fall back on this greater story because in the same way the priest was to bless people with grace and peace, and people received the name. He begins his letters the exact same way. He begins his letters, almost all of them, with a blessing. And that blessing is grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way the priest would say, we bless you. Receive his grace. And his peace. Let me show you, just, just so you can see. Philippians chapter 1 as an example. 
It's Philippians chapter one. It's a real small one. I'm like, why couldn't you pick a bigger one? Because I'm a jerk. Philippians chapter one. This, I want you to be able to see it. The Apostle Paul is continually resting the name on people and mantling people with God's goodness in his name. Philippians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1 and then verse 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace. If you haven't found the book yet, find the book. Look, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Galatians, go to Ephesians, go to his letters. Grace to you and peace. What were the priests supposed to pray over Israel? Grace to you and peace. There's this continual habit that I am to walk in God's blessing and I am to receive his name and his grace and his peace. But what does the commandment say? Don't carry it in vain. So if you go a little bit later in that chapter, if you go, like, go down to verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1, look what he says. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, and that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. As you are moving forward, bringing his kingdom come and his will be done on earth, may I hear that you are standing shoulder to shoulder, walking worthy of the gospel, defeating darkness, confronting sin, reversing the effects of death and hell. Paul says, may God's blessing rest upon you so that you can be a blessing to others. May the name rest on you so that you can be a blessing to others. The story hasn't changed. The mission hasn't changed. The purpose hasn't changed. It says, you have received God's name. Walk worthy of it. How do we do that? We care for the poor and the needy. Why? Because God delivers people. That's what he does. We heal the broken and the outcast. Why? Because that's the family business. That's what we do. God delivers. We speak truth to power. And hold people accountable because our king is the king above all kings. Some might ask me, when they play the Star Spangled Banner, why don't you put your hand over your heart? I'm like, ah, because that country belongs to somebody else. We cry and we weep with people. Why? That's the business. Jesus saves. We tell the story. We sacrifice for others. We love, meaning we are devoted to their restoration. If you love them, they will know. How about this? We obey the rest of the Ten Commandments. 
He says, hey, don't carry my name in vain. And then he says, do this. Remember the Sabbath. Give rest. We're going to talk about this next week. Uh, please, please. Okay. If you skip next week when I'm talking about dot skipping next week. Oh. <laughs> Remember Sabbath. Give rest to people. Okay. Uh, don't murder people. From conception to the grave, value everyone's life. Don't commit adultery. There's a sexual ethic at play. Don't steal. Tell the truth. Don't covet what others have. Trust that God will take care of you. Do this and you're not carrying the name in vain. You're bringing his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Because the family of God is a working family. We are sent out to do, mantled with his name and his glory. Some of you maybe have been enjoying or learning to respect and understand a little bit more about England and what goes on over there with the passing of, of Queen Elizabeth a couple weeks ago. Maybe you've watched documentaries or you watched the funeral, the procession. Um, I've learned to appreciate um, her more. She saw 14 United States presidents come and go. 14! That's amazing. Her coronation broadcast for the first time on this thing they call television. And her death was announced on Twitter. And you watch some of the historical things about her coronation, the weight of the crown. And she was heard saying later in an interview that she could not tip her head forwards at all. It was so heavy. Heavy hangs the head. Where's the crown? And the symbols and the regalia and the pomp and the circumstance and the majesty, it's an amazing thing. And we can look at that and say, that's like a fairy tale. It's, it's incredible. But one Christian theologian and philosopher, C.S. Lewis, who actually saw it, had this to say, reflecting on the coronation. C.S. Lewis said, you know, over here, meaning England, people did not get that fairy tale feeling about the coronation. What impressed most who saw it was the fact that the queen herself appeared to be quite overwhelmed by the sacramental side of it. Hence, in the spectators, a feeling of, one hardly knows how to describe it, awe, pity, mystery. The pressing of that huge, heavy crown on that small, young head becomes a sort of symbol of the situation of humanity itself. Humanity called by God to be his vice regent and high priest on earth, yet feeling so inadequate. As if God said, in my inexorable love, I shall lay upon the dust that you are glories and dangers and responsibilities 
beyond your understanding. Do you see what I mean? One has missed the whole point unless one feels that we have all been crowned and that coronation is somehow, if splendid, a tragic splendor. Heavy hangs the head. And to hear people talk about Elizabeth is to talk about a woman who is committed to duty above all things. I am the queen and there's a way that we're going to do things and there's a way that we're not going to do things. And those who were working royals had to learn how to walk within those parameters. And I didn't know this. I didn't know that there's a difference between working royals and non-working royals. I just thought there was royals because I'm an American and we vote every four years. Who cares? But there's a huge difference. I mean, the royal family is a big family. There's a lot. I, didn't, I just thought there was Charles. I didn't know he had brothers and sisters. I, mean, I don't know these things. I just thought it was Chuck. There he is. All right, that's awesome. Go you, buddy. No, there's families. There's brothers, sisters, grandkids, great-grandkids, and the majority of them are not working royals, meaning participating in the work of the family, meetings and appointments and offices and flying here and speeches there. The majority aren't. And in all of this, you've, you've probably heard some about how Harry stepped back from that. Prince Harry, I'm a part of the family. I do not want to do the family business stuff. I'm not a working royal. Moves to America, and there's lots of opinions either way. But in the royal family, you can do that. I'm a member of the family, but I'm not participating in the family business. That doesn't work here. God says, welcome to the family. This is the business. We all have been sent out, crowned, if you will. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who, what? He, he forgives inequities and heals diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. He picks me up out of death and does what? He crowns me with love and mercy. It's okay to feel the weight of that. I have a responsibility to live according to that to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to say, um, this week I really screwed that up. I did not wear the crown well. In fact, God, I think I kind of kicked it through the mud. for which our loving Father and tremendous grace and mercy picks up the young prince and the young princess and dusts them off. I know. But the blood of Jesus, my son, cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness. Let's get that crown straight again.
Now let's get to work. We've been sharing with you how to maybe apply each of these commandments. Aaron reminded us of this last week. I introduced it the week before that. What if each evening we took the commandment for the week and first we turn it into a point of instruction? Let it teach me. Okay. God has a name, a glory, a reputation, all that he is, and he has given that to me, and I am to carry it correctly. I am to reflect my father. I'm going to be about his business. Let it teach me. But then, number two, let's turn it into a point of instruction. I mean, excuse me, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Are you telling me that I am an outcast orphan who breaks everything and he gives me a crown? Like, I'm not just allowed at the room. I got a seat at the table. I don't just have a seat at the table. I've got a throne that I get to sit on. I I have responsibility. I was that and he makes me this. God, thank you. That's incredible. God, thank you that you have crowned me and called me and commissioned me. Number three, confession. Father, today, I didn't do that very well. And how I spoke to my spouse and how I behaved at work on how I drove through the roundabout at Troy. (laughs) So I peeled off the Jesus sticker from the back of my car so no one would know. But in all sincerity, God, I didn't do that right. And I'm sorry. And it's a heavy crown. But I want to do you right. So then, number four, turn it into a prayer for tomorrow. So tomorrow, God, by your grace, will you help me? Jesus, as I put your yoke upon me, Help me to say what needs to be said. Help me to be patient and kind. Deliver me from the evil that's within, that I might be a tool that blesses others. Bless me so that I can bless them. I will not carry your name in vain. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.